Hello everybody, welcome to the Juan Galt Show. Today we have the Jolts team uh, to discuss with us Taproot Assets. Uh, Taproot Assets was created by Lightning Labs and Jolts is a company that actually has been working with them, created a wallet. So we're going to get into all kinds of um, details about the implementation and they're going to tell us a little bit about what they're doing and what motivates them. Um, I think Taproot Assets are pretty interesting if they can actually deliver scaling um, of assets like, I think, Tether primarily, but, you know, whatever else people want to put on it. I mean, if you can, if it doesn't have to go all on chain, if it can move through the second layer, you know what? That's adoption. That's the, that's the pitch of, of Bitcoin as sort of an internet infrastructure. It's not going to damage... Um, Bitcoin scaling if it's really on the second layer. So um, I think it's pretty interesting. You let me know what you think. Feel free to yell at me on Twitter. But whatever you do, enjoy the show. As we speak, Elon Musk is doing a war council on Twitter, and there's 50,000 people listening live. Might be a new record. So uh, that's exciting. But uh, anyway, it's great to have you guys. I think Taproot uh, Assets might be, uh, might be the next wave. This is, this is interesting. Um, the, the vision that it opens up for stablecoins to put Bitcoin again with a scalable, uh, an allegedly more scalable solution is very promising, and I can't wait to get into the details. Thank you for joining us, guys. We got Ian, Ian Rager. We got uh, Roger, <laughs> Art Dodge, Art Dodge. Got Stephen hiding hiding behind his Art Dodge. Stephen, yeah, hiding behind. All him. right, <laughs> and Mr. Linden, which is great, great team. Um, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about? Uh, just maybe yeah, give us give us a quick overview of Taproot assets, and then we'll we'll talk about yields and go into some of the details. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to kick things off, and I'll I'll likely tag uh, Lyndon in to fill in some some gaps. But um, Taproot assets, formerly known as Taro, was announced quite quite a ways back, right? I mean, this has been a long time in the making. Uh, part of Lightning Labs's um, you know large last fundraising round was. Uh, you know, part of that was to developing this protocol to really make uh, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network as well a kind of multi-asset network, meaning, you know, you're able to um, issue tokens, whether that's fungible tokens like stable coins uh, or also, you know, things like uh, collectibles, right? They can be one of one as well. And the big kind of promise of, of Taproot Assets was to enable things like fungible tokens to be able to ride on Lightning Network rails. So you could sort of deposit these assets into a lightning channel uh, or into a taproot channel more specifically uh, and, you know, send, um, you know, send these fungible tokens using the same kind of uh, network effect that the lightning network has already built. Uh, I think it's also been an ex- a good example of a protocol that has been pretty low time preference. You know, they, they had uh, some even 
uh, you know, a, a lawsuit that was raised given the name of Taro. It was very close to something called Tari, I think, in the Monero community. So there was a whole, you know, lawsuit. So there was some drama along the way. But uh, last week, Lightning Labs announced that the um, Taproot Assets daemon is now officially on mainnet. Uh, and so that's a very exciting milestone for something that, again, has been uh, a, a long time in the making. And, you know, our belief is that it's a more efficient and robust protocol to do, you know, token issuance, particularly things like stable coins and fungibles, um, compared to something like, you know, you see BRC20 uh, in, in ordinals. I mean, a lot of that experimentation has been really interesting to see, and a lot of it's been very community driven. But I think even BRC20's own documentation page even points to Taproot Assets as a, quote, unequivocally you know, better solution for doing some of this stuff. So that's the super, super high level. Uh, you know, we can kind of peel the onion back and go deeper, uh, Juan, as, as would be helpful in terms of how it actually works. Fantastic. And why don't you tell us a little bit about Yolts? Uh, you guys have been one of the companies working closely with, uh, I believe, Lightning, Lightning Labs and the Taproot Asset um, Organization. And um, you guys are even named in the main uh, blog post that they put out uh, announcing that they went on mainnet now. So tell us a little bit about Yolts and, and what you guys are doing and how are you using uh, Taproot Assets? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're actually a Bitcoin rewards company, believe it or not. A lot of people will sit, hear that and say, well, that's strange. Why are you also building a, you know, Taproot Assets support a wallet? Um, so we got our start, you know, earlier this year, we launched products like um integrations and plugins for e-commerce stores. Uh, we've released a Bitcoin rewards API later in the summer. So basically now, you know, any business of any size, stripe or flavor can integrate Bitcoin rewards into their app, website, business. This could be to help drive customer acquisition and new users. Uh, you could do, you know, referrals. Um, it could be a reward for taking some action, maybe making a purchase or whatever the case may be. And Taproot Assets, where that sort of fits in, is we've for a long time now heard from some of our customers and, you know, prospective customers about, hey, like Bitcoin's amazing, obviously, you know, we want to be able to sprinkle Satoshis in all these different, uh, you know, areas of the customer lifecycle to incentivize different behavior, you know, but what about X? What about Y, right? And so Taproot, you know, to give you a couple examples of the new types of use cases at least in a loyalty context that we're very focused on at Jolts, one of those kind of new use cases that this unlocks for us from a loyalty context would be something like Bitcoin-backed uh, loyalty points, right? You know, it is not it is not very much of a secret that uh, your loyalty points are kind of a scam. Like they're actually, if you look at the actual numbers, they're actually getting debased at an even faster rate than fiat, right? So the consumer is feeling the burn when it comes to inflation. And then they're getting a double whammy when they watch their uh, the value of their points or their miles or their stars or whatever form of loyalty value it is. Um, you know, they watch these sort of overnight devaluations. And again, you know, people aren't necessarily storing a ton of value in uh, loyalty points. But, you know, if you're a frequent traveler, like it, it can be pretty substantial. And so you could imagine a fung, you know, let's say one day uh, Starbucks, you know, you have a fungible uh, token representing the Starbucks loyalty points that's, you know, uh, pegged to Bitcoin, you can instantly redeem it or exchange it for sats. Um, in the same way as you see the Lightning Network now being used to interoperate 
value transfer across different, you know, fiat currencies. Like look at companies like Strike and others that are enabling you to send, say, U.S. dollars uh, to maybe a family member overseas, and they were, you know, you use the Lightning Network to transmit that value. Um, with you know what's happening on the edges is the the conversions. You could have a similar dynamic for enabling consumers much more flexibility in how they can exchange across different forms of loyalty value. Maybe you trade your miles for you know a hotel stay, or maybe you trade them both for Sats, et cetera, et cetera. So like, there's a lot there we could kind of peel apart, but that's one big category. And the other second category are things like loyalty collectibles. Right. Like you could, you know, you already have a company like Starbucks, which for many years has uh, really set the tone when it comes to mainstream loyalty. They announced last year what they call their Odyssey initiative. Uh, And it's, you know, it's those Web3 extension of their of their crown jewel, which is their um, company rewards program. Um, And so we believe there should be a, you know, Bitcoin uh, competitor and Bitcoin option. I think they're using Polygon in the case of Starbucks. But you know, imagine a loyalty collectible that you that a business is able to give to their most loyal customers that uh, grants them access to some sort of token gated uh, space or page on their website. Uh, maybe it's early access to new deals. Uh, it can be a really nice private, much more private form of login to a merchant's website instead of having to give my you know email and password over time and time again. So there's a lot of, I think, uh, you know, use cases that we're very excited about at Jolts personally. And so that was really the impetus for creating the wallet. With that being said, you know, obviously there's a lot of other use cases that people are very excited about, things like stable coins and others. And so the wallet that, you know, we will uh, be using ourselves can also be accessible to everyone for whatever use case they, they can dream up. That's awesome. And you guys are a very different company than I think a lot of the other Tapper Asset wallets or projects. You guys are an e-commerce platform. Uh, I believe you have an API and you're integrated with Shopify, WooCommerce and Equid. Is that right? So so like if somebody's selling alpaca socks on Shopify, they could potentially be giving people uh, rewards for their purchases. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you know, we have kind of ready out of the box integrations for some of the platforms you listed out, but then we also have our API, which, hey, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not using one of those platforms or I'm uh, a larger enterprise that already has my own app. Right. And I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to point people to some separate app or some separate browser extension or require them to have some sort of payment card. Right, I just want to bring Bitcoin rewards into my uh, into my app, into whatever environment I want to bring them into, and so businesses can use our set of tools uh, to accomplish that. And then, really, Taproot Assets is just expanding uh, the set of use cases that businesses could uh, could perform and support. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I really like that. I think. The, the possibility of streaming sats as rewards is is very cool. But now, you know, I think one of the big issues that we've seen with Bitcoin over the decade or so plus that it's been around is that the volatility of it makes it kind of tricky for people to understand its value and to, and to calculate its value. And, you know, the dollar remains king. The dollar remains the unit of account, at least for the next probably decade or two. 
And so the idea of putting Bitcoin on top of, sorry, the dollar on top of Bitcoin or Bitcoinizing the dollar, I think is very powerful. You know, I understand some people have hesitations around it, but to me, it's very simple. If you have dollars on top of Bitcoin, if the dollar collapses, if the dollar hyperinflates, if the dollar eventually meets the fate of every other fiat currency in history, then Bitcoin will be underneath, ready to to take the mantle, uh, especially if it's the settlement layer. So um, that's that's my understanding of the strategy, uh, the Bitcoin the Bitcoinization of the dollar. Is that uh, an accurate representation? Uh, what do you guys think of of that take? Yeah, I'll add some thoughts, and then Stephen, Lyndon, I'm curious to hear hear yours as well. I, I think you hit it right one like you know you look at um you know two things i like to look at one is what percent of um foreign exchange reserves are are the dollar i think that number is down to less than 60 percent now so that's been like a pretty one-way train down however that's still a lot right it's still a majority of you know foreign exchange reserves is is the dollar you look at what percent of global trade is being settled in dollars that number is a lot higher i think that number is still close to 90 percent so again, both of those numbers are going to come down over time. But to your point, it's going to it's going to take some time. And so in this interim period, I don't think anyone's out here arguing that we should prolong uh, the the sort of um, phase between you know fiat land and hyper Bitcoinization or whatever we want to call it. I, I don't think anyone's sort of calling for putting stable coins on Bitcoin to prolong that. But rather, it's kind of as you said, like we almost view it as how can we add ladders to the life raft that is Bitcoin. People stumble their way onto the Bitcoin network in all sorts of ways. I mean, even with like the explosion of ordinals earlier this year, you know, you had some of these, uh, you know, some of these degens coming from other communities, like teaching each other how to spin up a Bitcoin node for the very first time. And like that, they wouldn't have done that. Otherwise, you know, we might personally disagree or agree with a certain use case, but it's kind of, uh, it's kind of beside the point. And so in a sim- similar way, I think stablecoins on Lightning, like it is simply the case that a lot of people around the world have a use case for that. And so if it can be um, maybe not even the ladder that gets them fully onto the life ref, but at least, you know, getting a ladder within arm's reach such that when shit does eventually hit the fan or however that happens, you know, you're, you're right. Like you already are on the network. You're using the tools um, that transition uh at least sort of technologically is a lot uh is a lot simpler so I, that's kind of how i view it conceptually but i don't know steven linden what if you would if you would add anything on on, on stable coins on lightning linden anything from you i think you covered it well <laughs> awesome so let, let's let's get into the details a little bit because this is a very interesting up um update and technology. Uh, one of the first things you'll notice if you read the the blog that was that is pinned on the on the nest. This is from Lightning Engineering, uh, which I believe is Lightning Labs, right? Right. Yeah. So one of the first things they say is that this is the, the mainnet uh, version. This is now a stable version. It's going to be backwards compatible for future upgrades, and it supports uh, taproot assets on chain. And that the lightning support is coming soon. So I think this this came to us as a surprise to me, and I suspect it'll come as a surprise to other people that Taproot Assets is native to on chain first, and and then it enters the lightning network. Uh, is that accurate? Uh, what can you tell us about about that? 
maybe Linden can take it or somebody that whoever wants yeah, to Linden, you wanna jump in. I mean, really, Tappered Assets is always going to be on on chain. The way it works on the Lightning Network is really just by you know swapping it to what its value is. So, like, if you have like a USD token, you'd swap it to five thousand Sats and then send it through the channel. Really, it is on chain native and not mm-hmm. as native on the Lightning Network. Okay, so one example might be, let's say, that Tether issues Tether on top of Taproot assets, and then that uh, to move that over the Lightning Network, it gets swapped for Bitcoin, moved via Satoshi Sats over the Lightning Network, and then flipped back to Tether. Or how does that how does that transition through Lightning work, more or less? I mean, you just to describe it pretty accurately. It uses a Taproot script or a tap script to, you know, make that conversion to ensure that the person on the other end receives the right amount. Hmm. This type of information needs like a, a DLC, you know, some way to represent the actual value, which we haven't, you know, seen a lot of that yet. That's still pending, but Mm -hmm. for the time being it works. So like visually I've seen some, you know, diagrams thrown around that sort of show, like imagine the lightning network as it currently exists today. And then, around the edges, you'll hear that word, like just, you know, edges, um, you've got these conversions taking place. And I I don't think it's dissimilar from how companies like Strike and others uh, do, you know, like remittances. Um, I, you know, I send dollars to a family member in, uh, in, in Europe or whatever, and the conversion of dollars to sats, and then later on sats, you know, to euros, it's sort of a conceptually similar uh, thing that's that's happening if, if i understand it correctly Lyndon, is that is that right yeah it's a, a perfect understanding of it it's a very lightweight way to do it you know very alternative to what you know rgb has done it's a lot heavier they've really gone for like the lightest approach possible on the lightning network <laughs> so it's so it's basically using the lightning network to transfer the value and the the ownership rights of the token, but it's not really moving, let's say, tether through the Lightning Network. Like it isn't like a like an like a parallel Lightning Network, or 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 isn't like colored satoshis on top of Lightning. It's actually just using it as a vehicle to as a medium of exchange of sorts. Yes, pretty much. You do end up with like a token on the other end, but mm-hmm. technically speaking, the token has been you know burned turned into its value and then you know recreated reminted kind of like you know teleported from one side to the other right at the end of the day you're just updating a balance sheet uh, on taproot assets essentially yes exactly um and then you you also would run a taproot assets node sort of like a layer three or something like that or like a like a yeah basically like another layer on top of your full node if you wanted to run a version of this right only if you're on the edges the actual you know nodes in the middle because you need to go through a couple of relays for Lightning. They don't need to know anything about it. It just looks like a normal transfer to them. Right. Right. So is there is there a separation of like, obviously there's like, there's going to be like SPV wallets, like the one that you guys are working on at, at Yolt. I, I pinned one of the, a tweet that you guys made a few months back of a, of a sort of test version of the Taproot wallet that you guys have, which looks pretty straight, straightforward. I'm sure it's improved since then. And so that's going to be more like an SPV sort of user-facing wallet. And then you guys have to run uh, kind of like a Taproot backend that I presumably is open source and anybody could also run and sync up. 
most of it is actually in the browser. We have very little that's on the actual server side. The only thing we have on the server side is the the universe hosting, which is how you know you store the proofs, which is like the history of the transaction. Mm-hmm. Since Taproot Assets is so lightweight on chain, we just store everything that would be a burden on the chain. Gotcha. And yeah, let's talk about the weight on chain because this is going to be obviously the the most controversial aspect of it. You know, everybody always thought, at least my impression from the outside was always like, oh, it's uh, assets on top of lightning, which was very elusive. Like, how do you do assets on top of lightning? But okay, we, we've established that actually there is an on-chain footprint. Uh, however, it's, it's uh, advertised as being much more scalable, much more, let's say, un- environmentally friendly to the Bitcoin uh, <laughs> on-chain. And so um, can you tell us a little bit about how this works? And I don't know if you're familiar with other other uh, asset layers on top of Bitcoin, like Counterparty or Ordinals, but like how do, how would you compare these technologies and, and why is Taproot Assets uh, more scalable? Taproot Assets really has, you know, no signature. I mean, I'm sure you've heard it before, but it does look exactly the same as a transaction because going back to like the lower level, a transaction on Bitcoin is just here is where we're getting the money and this is the script that can unlock the money. We're just replacing that script with something that can also store, you know, a taproot asset, which looks exactly the same. Unlike, you know, counterparty ordinals and those solutions, nothing is actually stored on chain. It's all offloaded to a thing called a universe, which stores all the data that doesn't need to be as verified. Hmm. Like the actual like double spend, that kind of thing stays on chain. But, you know, if you have like an image attached, that would be living on the universe completely separate. Cool. And are they using uh, IPFS or any sort of new gen technology like that for for storage? Or is it just kind of like their own, you know, cryptographically authenticated structure, right? Yeah, it's their own homegrown thing for the time being. Gotcha. That's great. I mean, I, I again, I think I think uh, stable coins on Bitcoin make a lot of sense, uh, and to whatever degree these technologies can be more scalable, it's it's fantastic. You know, a lot of the a lot of the fees that you got to pay on these networks are you know based on chain fees and the minting costs, right? Like I I controversially minted a, a frog on top of of stamps recently, and stamps is like the most expensive one, right? Like it's literally using multi-sig scripts to create like burn multi-sig addresses and instead of multi-sig that you can spend it's just like uh part of the data of the image and uh it's it's very heavy on the footprint it was just an experiment but uh this this sort of this is actually much more realistic and scalable so um that's very interesting i i I think it'll be really fascinating to see different sort of segments of users and how they either, you know, flock to or, or maybe not, um, for tapered assets. Like if you kind of divide the world into, you know, fun, like if we take fungible tokens, I think there's, as Lyndon was alluding to a lot to be said for a protocol like tapered assets in terms of, you know, chain space efficiency. On, on the other hand, you know, you think of things like collectibles, I actually think like part of the appeal of something like ordinals is the fact that it is literally, you know, inscribed onto yeah. uh, the, the blockchain. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of for, for different, I guess, token use cases, um, you know, are there certain certain protocols that are going to really excel, you know, versus in other use cases, others, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be really interesting though to, 
uh, to, to see. Yeah. So, so one of the concerns for sure was that, you know, how are you going to store um, assets on top of lightning if you don't have uh, an on-chain footprint? So, okay, they've solved this by creating a new kind of transaction script. And then from there, probably it's probably some sort of Merkle route. And then they develop some Merkle tree. Like it's just, you, you plant a little seed on the blockchain and from that you can deterministically rebuild the, the universe. Um, you know, I'm assuming it's something along those lines, right? Obviously you can download the whole database and so on. Um, is that, is that an accurate representation or how does the, how does the link between let's say the on-chain script and the, and the Taproots universe, how does that work? The link is basically the proof, like the verification of the universe is held on chain, but the actual data is held completely off chain and, you know, a federated environment. Like you said, it is pretty similar to IPFS. It's just, you know, the lightning labs equivalent. They're not going to use IPFS. Mm -hmm. And and like, go ahead. I was just going to add one, like visually, you're also right. You know, it's, I think a combination of Merkle sum and sparse Merkle trees. So imagine just like, being able to take this little hash and unfurl that like a flag, you know, into this large tree structure where each of the leaves of that tree has some sort of information about, you know, that, that asset or, um, you know, the, the sort of lineage of that asset all the way back to its, its Genesis. And so all of that gets rolled up into that, you know, just single point all the way at the top which is what gets, you know, hashed on the actual blockchain as provenance. Um, so, you know, like, like visually, people can, can probably imagine, you know, this large tree-like structure, which has whatever arbitrary metadata about these different assets and the transfers of those assets, et cetera. Um, and that can all be, you know, furled up, if you will, uh, and also quickly deciphered to provide those proofs, as Lyndon's saying, that either like, hey, this asset exists, and it exists of the amount that, you know, I as a user am, am sort of asserting, you know, or it doesn't exist. Like you can do that very quickly with these uh, with these tree structures. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, if I'm comparing it to Counterparty, which is a, a layer that I'm much more familiar with, um, it sounds like it's going to be, well, I mean, it, it sounds it's, it's obviously more scalable. Um, it's fresher technologies using cutting edge sort of Bitcoin addresses and so on, which Counterparty is still on layer on on legacy addresses, right? So the fees are more expensive and so on. And then the fact that you can move these assets over the Lightning Network or will be able to do that soon, that should be a shock to the whole sort of assets ecosystem, right? I mean, I was sometimes I, like I, I'm a trader at the end of the day, and sometimes I'll go and see some weird arbitrage opportunity on like you know layer three of Ethereum in some you know deep in the shitcoin land, and I'll go play with it. But like the fees are, you know, $5, $6, and then you got to sign four or five times with your hardware wallet. And then you got to uh, authorize and approve that you're going to send. It's ridiculous. And you end up spending 20 bucks to move uh, an asset around a couple of times. Whereas with Lightning, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drop the, the, the fees to near zero. Um, you know, you think that the pragmatic sort of token flippers are going are gonna to appreciate this. And the Bitcoiners, you know, like the, the footprint is minimal. So, I mean, this is kind of the best of both worlds. I I think that's true. Cer- yes, certainly in the case of fungible tokens, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the market for 
you know, like around these edges, these sort of conversion points, you know, what, what does that look like? Like, what is the, you know, what do those fees look like? But as you said, once you're sort of onto the network, um, moving value across lightning itself is, is very, very, very low cost. And I think that was kind of the whole, I think there was like, a, it was maybe a Peter McCormick, um, you know, uh, podcast or something that was talking about, I forget which country it was, but, you know, folks were using Tether on Tron, right? And yeah. there was really no reason for that other than it was the lowest, you know, lowest fees, right? People are going to, um, you know, a, a large kind of segment of users is going to simply flock to whatever is cheapest to accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. And um, so something like stablecoins on Lightning, I think it'll be interesting to see just how competitive that's able to become with mm-hmm. something like Tether on Tron. Again, I, you know, I, I'm not as familiar with the latter to to speculate, but um, it'll be interesting, <laughs> I think, for sure. Well, I mean, Tron is ridiculous because it does nothing. It doesn't have any DeFi. Uh, nobody talks about it pretty much, but it is nevertheless the biggest Tether network in the game. Uh, they carry the most volume. They have the most amount of Tether on it. And yeah, you're right. People move it around because it feels fast, right? It feels like it shows you confirmations like every 30 seconds or something like that on, on exchanges and the exchanges accept it as such. Um, and so it feels fast and the costs are like, you know, we're still talking about like 50 cents to a dollar to transfer it. But, uh, you know, people and people love it because people don't care. Right. And what's the security guarantees of, of Tron? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's proof of Justin Sun. You know, it's, it's, it's the fact that Justin Sun is buddies with uh, CC from Binance. And that's why Tron is a thing. Right. And, and even then, right, like, it's just, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, it's very silly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Now, um, so I think that's that's going to be huge, and I can't wait to see uh, further deployment, further wallet adoption. Um, you guys had uh, this test wallet that you published. What's the, uh, where, where are you guys at with that wallet uh, interface, uh, and when can we play with it? Steven, you want to take that? Yeah, because the demo you're you're referring to, that's really just like a demo of what it's going to look like. And then what we are preparing for imminently is to release an alpha version uh, of the wallet. But maybe, Steven, you can go a little bit more into detail on like some of the features, like what what it'll do, because uh, we're, we're, we're pretty excited about this. I think it's going to be the first opportunity for a lot of people to interact with Taproot Assets in a in a way that is, you know, quite user-friendly. Um, that's that's one of the big hurdles to any of these protocols. Yeah, the goal is, you know, hopefully later this week. I mean, um, you know, working through some of the final, uh, you know, last-minute touches and polishing things up. But, um, you know, we definitely don't want to compromise on, you know, putting this out while it is just an alpha uh, release. You know, we've tried to, you know, do this in the right way. Um, you know, making this, again, self-custodial, just a... You know, very clean, simple UX, just so people can, you know, get in, you know, start doing what they want to do, you know, getting the kind of onboarding process and, you know, backing up, uh, you know, of your, of your seed phrase really, really clean um, and simple. Um, yeah, just really trying to cut down on, you know, hurdles to, to get in there and get started. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully here at the end of the week, we've got, got something for people to play with and obviously, you know, making this, you know, very well aware that it is, again, just an alpha release and we're going to continue to, you know, keep polishing and, and building on this in the coming months. But um, yeah, I'm just really looking for, you know, honest feedback or, you know, things that people would want to see or, you know, things they don't like so we can 
you know, kind of formally adjust to those. But um, yeah, it's really, really waiting for that feedback and just seeing how people, um, how people want to use this. That's awesome. Yeah, as soon as you guys have a, a, a version that I can test, I'll, uh, I'll mint an art piece on it and then <laughs> maybe do, we'll do a little test run of it. Nice. Yeah, make you some tokens or make you a nice collectible, whatever you see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll make a collectible and 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 see get take get some shit from people on Twitter and then uh, we can have some fun with it. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, and, and one of the things that I saw that was very interesting, just for people that are maybe creators or entrepreneurs. Uh, there's a full set of features that you have with Taproot assets. Of course, you can mint assets, and there's like. You, in the interface that you guys created, and I don't know if this is based on like some primitives or some fundamentals of Tapper assets, but you had like two categories of of assets. You had tokens, and then you had the fungibles, the, sort of the the collectibles. And collectibles are presumably like one of one sort of NFT style tokens, yep. and then the other one is just you know higher supply um, coins, right? Exactly. Correct. And then you could also burn them, so you can mint, you could burn. Um, and presumably you can build a little bit more complexity into a coin, right? Like if Tether wants to launch Tether on top of Tapper assets, right? They're going to need like very flexible sort of burn, remint. They're going to need to probably, I mean, who knows what kind of complexity they need to do, the compliance they do and so on. Um, can you talk, walk us through some of the, the features that Tapper assets offers uh, businesses? Yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, a couple of things already in the works with, you know, several entities just kind of echoing what we already uh, you know, spoke to a bit earlier. But I mean, we've got, you know, one partner that, you know, is going to mint a, uh, you know, a kind of collection of collectibles, if you will. Um, and these will be embedded in like physical items. And when people, you know, get their physical item, they can essentially, you know, take claim of this taproot asset and then it will get them you know, certain benefits and, you know, types of um, enhanced experiences with the brand. Um, you know, we were just at Pacific Bitcoin and we met with a bunch of, you know, Bitcoin brands and some that are just, you know, regular, typical brands, but, you know, they have, they have Bitcoiners inside of them, luckily. Um, and it was really exciting to see that, you know, a lot of them are just, you know, feeling the pain of like points. They're like, hey, you know, my rewards or my referral service or whatever my kind of, you know, customer engagement uh, software is, you know, it, it sucks, you know, people don't really want just points or, you know, to do some, you know, quiz or, and, you know, review or something just for, you know, points. And then, you know, the moment that we mentioned, you know, Hey, you could actually, you know, back your points by sats or, you know, make these, you know, equivalent to, you know, you know, brand a company token equals 10 sats, you know, whatever, um, you know, their eyes just kind of lit up and they're like, Oh man, you know, I would love that. So, I mean, you're going to see use cases like this. Um, and again, I think you'll see, you know, a lot of other more interesting ones, but I think, you know, kind of what you were pointing to is maybe what some of the guardrails are for some of those, you know, some brands are going to want, um, you know, some businesses are going to want to be able to have kind of this open loyalty concept as we speak to, you know, maybe I have brand a token um, and I can only spend it, you know, at brand a, but, you know, maybe there's benefit in letting me trade this token or collectible with another user that has brand B's token. And there's some type of, you know, market marketplace and, you know, uh, that would actually settle that out to whatever the exchange rate is or allowing these things to be tradable. Um, but you'll see it both ways, right? I think some people will want it and some people, you know, won't want it. So there's kind of some guardrails that we'll have to put in place. Um, but that just is kind of, you know, on a case by case basis until this, you know, matures. Um, 
And then, yeah, I think there's some other really interesting use cases as well that we've we've kind of discussed. Um, you know, we'll we'll be looking to build a marketplace ourselves. You know, token swapping um, is definitely on the radar. So I think there's a lot of different ways this thing could be pulled. We just got to, uh, you know, see how much we can do at once and, uh, you know, roll these out uh, on a case-by-case basis as we continue to go along. Um, but that's just kind of a glimpse of what we, we've seen personally with Jolt so far. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, take it one step at a time. I mean, again, I'm really excited to see the wallet come out. I haven't seen any other interfaces uh, for this asset, for Tapper assets yet that, look um as good as what you guys uh published uh, you know months ago um however you know for tether right like i think tether's the big the big fish it's the one that we got to get in right if tether was to launch on tapper assets there's they, they need to be able to freeze wallets or at least freeze balances on wallets in order to maintain compliance with the powers that be right because that's just the dollar and that's you know you got to play political games up there um is this a technology that is supported by Taproot Assets, um, you know, or some sort of special minted version of Taproot Assets, or how do you expect they would do something like this? I was going to say, Lyndon, I know there's you know some high level stuff we could probably cover, but you know, I know they've built this in a way to where this is, you know, the guardrails and kind of restrictions are very much you know meant to be kind of application or you know service specific. So you know these kind of Stop gaps can be put in place if needed, certain controls and levers. But you might be able to speak better to it, Lyndon. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can write something like that with like Tap Scripts, which is like, you know, the scripting platform on Taproot. It wouldn't be the easiest thing to do, nor I think the community would like it very much, but it's definitely possible. I think it's more beneficial for something like a USDC to come on board than a Tether just because of how they have been with their community, you can't expect something like Tether to, you know, build something that Bitcoiners were like, you know. I mean, USDC would need that too, right? USDC is even more compliant and more uh, bootlicking than, than Tether, you know? So they're, <laughs> they're going to need to, <laughs> they're going to need to uh, really be like, oh yeah, you know, you just point to the address and we'll freeze it, right? Like that's just the way that, that, that the dollar works, right? Um, so, okay. That, that's going to be interesting. I mean, I think that that's an important piece that I assume that the, the people behind Taproot assets, uh, calculated, you know, because you can't talk about stable coins unless you're talking, unless it, unless actually there is no stable coin itself. Like it's not the same thing as we're used to where you're sending an on-chain transaction, you know, but, but instead you're just, it's an application layer side of things. I don't know. It's going to be. Yeah, I think they're going to figure that out. I think that last point and kind of what Stephen was saying, like, you know, I I think any protocol wants to, you know, be censorship resistant. And so it's kind of up to the tethers or the circles of the world to, like, build that additional, you know, kind of flexibility. As Lyndon pointed out, I don't think there's any there's nothing about the protocol that, uh, you know, makes that impossible um, but it's, it's, you know, it's hopefully also the case that the protocol is not kind of actively like mm-hmm. inviting that. I think it's just going to be up to the circles and the tethers to implement some of those additional requirements into the logic that's being used. And that's going to happen more at the application layer than, than anything. Okay. Okay. So they, so they, they presumably have the tools to do it, but it's not something that's like, 
yeah, it's not on the front page. It's not something that's necessarily easy to do. So, you know, I'm sure they'll figure it out because uh, if they can bring costs of moving Tether around near zero, they're going to, or or Circle for that matter, they're going to want to do that. And, and there's going to be a market for that, I think. Definitely. Fantastic. Cool. So, I mean, is there anything else we should say about Taproot Assets? I think it's very exciting. You know, um, you guys are going to be launching uh the wallet very soon uh if you're a businessman or if you have a if you're selling merch or anything like that online check out uh yolt's rewards and you can give people sats um as rewards for purchases yeah absolutely no hopefully you know this is just expanding our toolkit that businesses can use but then again you know the wallet will be accessible to anyone and everyone so whatever use case you have you know you can go in and um, and and use it, and uh, you know we're excited to continue to you know roll out additional features once you know taproot channels are a thing you know formally. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to to look forward to. So we're we're looking forward to seeing how the community reaction responds. And like I said, I do think this is the going to be the if not one of the first um, you know much 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 more user friendly ways to kind of you know, start minting these assets, transferring these assets, et cetera. So definitely give us a follow and you'll be, you'll be the first to know about it. Awesome. That's great. Um, let, let me ask you guys one more question before we, we finish up. Uh, what do you guys see in the future? Like what are the most weird, uh, the weirdest, most exotic type of applications that are coming out? Like one thing that I saw is something about Noster taproot assets. So now they're saying, you know, some sort of integration with the Noster network. You guys have any insight into that or any other cool ideas that you guys have seen floating around there? Um, I've chatted with some of the people that, that you know, created the Noster um, assets protocol, and I know they had some interest in Taproot assets, so I'll have to, I'll have to catch up on that one specifically. But um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of, you know, really interesting things of just, you know, really mm-hmm. being able to, you know, verify and prove things, you know, again, on-chain. Um and I think, you know, Taproot Assets just kind of expands the use cases of what those things that could, you know, again, eventually down the line be something that's tied to an on-chain uh, transaction, you know, whether it's, you know, deeds, homes, who knows what other types of assets. We've talked about loyalty points. I think, um, yeah, just getting this out there and really getting like a horse in the race in front of these businesses and brands that have for so long just built on other chains. I mean, Again, just the other week at Pacific Bitcoin, you know, we had Bitcoiners that were telling us, yeah, we're building on Polygon because we couldn't do this, you know, with, with Bitcoin yet in the, in the manner that we wanted to and the scale we, <clears throat> scale we wanted to. So um, I think you'll see a lot of interesting things when it comes to content creation, um, the content itself. You know, uh, I really do think the sky's the limit now um, in terms of what you can do with kind of tapered assets, given that it's, you know, just kind of a bigger, larger playground than some of the other stuff that's, you know, already been out there around just ordinals and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very exciting. I def- I agree. This is, this is potentially a new, a new age. Um, Cause it, it, it should address pretty much everybody's concerns. So it's, it's, it's a matter of just getting some wallets out there and, and letting people play with it. Yeah. I'd like to see a lot more B2B applications. Like I really think if this can open up the doors for, know how businesses engage and interact and again transact with one another um that'll really start being you know something that i kind of see as like the really next big phase of course we have the etf of course we've got like the having but 
know, I really want to start seeing businesses use Bitcoin in more kind of fundamental ways and like their operations are just some way that they, you know, operate every day um, versus just kind of simply holding it on their balance sheet or again, just the, you know, FI world, you know, now getting an ETF, all great, but, you know, really want to start opening the doors for, you know, more B2B uh, use cases because everything is just so consumer centric, you know, right now. Um, that's where I really hope this, you know, can take it. Hmm. Yeah. And the transfer of dollars over the lighting network at basically no cost is, I think it, that's a killer app, you know, like we see, um, we see what Galoy did with, uh, Bitcoin beach wallet. Uh, I think it's called blink now. Um, hmm. And it's it's a great wallet because it lets you move the dollar denominated uh, value, but it's really just sats, right? And and what they're doing is they're basically shorting the like when you if you have a hundred bucks and you put fifty on 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 their stable sats, right? You're basically shorting Bitcoin uh, to the equivalent of fifty dollars on OKCoin, OK right? So now you have like three counterparties: you have Galoy, you have OKCoin, OK and then you have Tether, right? Well, Tapper Assets removes two of those kinds of parties, right? <laughs> so yeah. this is great. It's it's much better. And from a security perspective, it's much better. And it should let you just move dollars around very quickly. And that's uh, frankly, that like Latin America will love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, we also recently, I think it was September, saw the announcement from Visa um, you know, expanding their settlement capabilities with, uh, I guess, the Solana version of USDC, I think it was. And, right, like, I, you know, say what you will about, um, you know, the visas of the world, right? Obviously, these are these are traditional, you know, payment giants, but, right, they, they don't announce a partnership like that unless it's, like, a thing. Like, they're going to make it a thing, whether, whether you like it or not. And um, as part of that announcement, you even had um, WorldPay, which is one of the big merchant acquirers. So, right, like you, the consumer, you have a bank behind your credit card or, or whatever, um, and the merchant has a bank. And so the merchant acquirer is, is that bank. WorldPay uh, is, is the absolute kind of 800-pound Goliath uh, in, in that space, and they are also a part of this sort of collaboration. So uh, it's, it's interesting, I think, back to Stephen's point about you know, whether, whether any of us individually agree with certain use cases and not others and, oh, these use cases should be, you know, morally superior to these others. It's kind of like we could argue over that all day, but at the end of the day, the market is going to be pretty clear as to, well, like this has value and this, you know, this doesn't. And so, um, you're seeing a number of signs that I think, you know, uh, uh, portend very positively towards, being able to have some of those same capabilities uh, on Bitcoin, because I think you talk to a lot of people like, you know, folks in other ecosystems often recognize the merits of Bitcoin, the unique merits of Bitcoin um, that, you know, really can't be replicated. And it's just like, well, I can't, you know, I can't do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it'll be really interesting to see how this unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the big critiques from the crypto world, has always been that you can't build these, you know, more complex assets, but not really that much more complex in an easy, easy to build fashion on Bitcoin, even though they wanted to, like a lot of them wanted to, you know, like that, that's the big genesis story of Ethereum is that 
Vitalik wanted to do basically taro assets on top of Bitcoin and it wasn't allowed. Well, it wasn't allowed though. The technology didn't exist. He wanted to do like a virtual machine and all this stuff. And I think that's probably too complex, right? But um, I would imagine that a lot of, like as we saw with Ordinals, right? We saw people from Ethereum, from all these sort of other chains, even people from BSV come and start building on top of Bitcoin. And then, you know, one perspective is like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're bringing shitcoins to Bitcoin and it's bad and, and it's spammy and stuff. It's like, yeah, some of that is true. I mean, it's, it definitely spammed the chain for like a few months. But with a more scalable technology, that's actually just adoption. Uh, and, right. you know, bring it on. I think that's, 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 I think, what we wanted to see for a long time. It's part of the promise of, of Bitcoin as an internet money and as an internet settlement layer of, of value. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I think, I think it's, a, it's, it's a good thing, you know, and we'll see, we'll see what, how the community responds to it. But uh, I mean, we, we did approve Taproot. This is what Taproot, you know, <laughs> is one of the things that Taproot is for. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Right on. Great. Cool. So, well, I mean, I think we've kind of covered it. There's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about in the space, but let's keep this show tight. I think that we've, we've done a really good overview of Taproot Asset. We're going to be having, we're, we're trying to get Adam back uh, the next couple of weeks. And I want to do a big show on privacy soon. And I want to do some other shows on lightning going forward. So anyway, there's a lot more to cover in the future. And I hope you'll join us. Thank you for joining us today. And check out Jolt's rewards uh, so you can uh, do Bitcoin Sats rewards uh, in your e-commerce platform. Yes. Greatly appreciate the time. Thanks for having us, guys. Good discussion.